Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Hudson, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello, and thank you once again for joining us on the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck, where we cover the Oregon Ducks, the Pac-12, and all the big stories from around all of college football. Of course, today is National Signing Day. I am your host, Doug Scott, and I'm joined, of course, by QB11 himself, as well as Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. Good evening. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's weird for us to say good afternoon because normally this is like a five o'clock thing. But, you know, na- you know, National Signing Day is a little different nowadays. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, with that being said, it is noon uh, here in Portland, so we can uh, we can crack one and celebrate uh, the Ducks recruiting class, which we're obviously going to get into 29 total high school recruits, including the new addition today of four star cornerback slash wide receiver. Roderick Pleasant out of Sarah High School in Southern California. Um, QB, why don't we start with you on Pleasant? What do you like about him, and, and how do you see him fitting in at Oregon? And where is he going to play positionally? Um, and Justin can can uh, confirm this or tell me I'm wrong. My understanding is is that Pleasant was being brought in to play uh, receiver. Um, now maybe he plays a little bit both ways. I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to break down once he gets on campus, uh, but I think. When we look over the last several years at Oregon, like there was a transition that took place kind of during the Helfrich to Taggart Mario years where Oregon finally started being able to recruit the big outside receiver, the big alpha 6'3", like real, like true outside receiver that frankly, we just didn't really have a lot of during the Chip Kelly era and, and the Mike Blotty era. Um, we had a couple guys uh, during the tail end of the Blotty era, but a lot of 5'11 slot receiver, like running back skill set type guys during chip. And uh, when we made that transition, I think that there was a, mis- a mistake made where we weren't really recruiting elite speed uh, at the receiver position. And so there was a couple of years there where we just didn't have anyone that was a real threat to just completely rip the ceiling off of a defense and, and, and 
keep those safeties honest and and like force teams to play you a certain way structurally and adding a player like pleasant that runs a 10.14 uh 100 meter which i think was like the second fastest time and uh, for anyone under the age of 18 in the country last year uh, really accomplishes that you get somebody with some serious juice uh, who just absolutely eats angles and, and and frankly like playing a player like him in the slot they can't really get hands on him and try to reroute him and if they uh, if they don't get hands on him and he just gets to get into his route he's going to run by most safeties um, if, if you're playing reactively to a player like him who's at top speed already, he's gone. Um, and so I think this is going to be a really big play receiver for Oregon. I think he's going to be someone that complements uh, players like Jurion Dickey and Ashton Cozart nicely, who are both fast enough to get over the top themselves. But what this is going to do is kind of what uh, Devin Allen did for Darren Carrington, right? He's going to rip rip those safeties deep and make sure that they um, – are respecting the Oregon vertical threats uh, and it's going to create a lot more room underneath for both the run game and the inter- intermediate passing game. So uh, I'm really excited about this pickup. I think that over time um, as he settles in at one position and gets some more technical development, he's going to be a player that could run the whole route tree, but as a true freshman, if he can just be a three route track star uh, run, run deep routes, right? Run fades, run seams, run posts uh, and just, and just, threaten vertically uh, and, and create a couple big plays that is huge uh, and, and the other piece with him is um, he obviously has some potential at corner uh, but he has a ton of potential as a kick returner and, and Oregon desperately needed somebody who was uh, more explosive as, as a kick returner and I think that Pleasant can provide that day one yeah I I, uh, I love your point there which I know you made in the evaluation about his uh, you know his ability to contribute in special teams and and i think you you hit the nail on the head that's a really big piece that oregon's missed um you know really being able to kind of flip the field and establish you know a better starting uh field position would be a welcome thing for oregon and oregon fans so there's a lot to like there you know i think you 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 covered both bases there i think there's a lot to like about him potentially as a slot receiver very dynamic you know, one of those guys that makes, you know, fast guys look slow, right? I mean, that's kind of the difference between him and, a, you know, maybe a Seven McGee or Chris Hudson, not to, to pick on them a little bit, but you bring them in for speed and this guy is a whole different caliber. Um, so you got to really like that. I think your Devin Allen comparisons uh, really terrific there. But, you know, I wouldn't discount him as a cornerback on defense as well. You know, obviously here with, with regards to Oregon was heavily recruited by Demetrius Martin. Um, which means that there is some consideration there. You know, additionally, that could be because of relationships as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's the nail in the coffin. Um, but conversely, at USC, I know he was, you know, heavily recruited by Dante Williams, again, a cornerback coach, safety coach, defensive back coach. So, you know, bring him in, get him in here as quick as you can. Maybe that's in the spring. Uh, maybe it's not till the fall. And, uh, you know, just kind of see what you got you know, get some pads on him, get him moving around and, and see what you got. I don't know per se that this is a day one starter, day one contributor um, outside of maybe the what you said about special teams. This could be a guy that finds his way on the field right away, uh, helping out in kick or punt return situations possibly. But in terms of, you know, being thrust right into the starting lineup at corner or at wide receiver, that might be a little tougher go for him. So um, if he's not really a contributor for, uh, you know, maybe – to you know, in, in, into year two or potentially year three, 
I don't think it's an indictment or that there was any misevaluation here. That just could be, um, you know, the way that this is set up. So, but again, the annual tradition of Oregon, you know, stealing a SoCal recruit right out from underneath the nose of USC continues. Yeah. Like real quick, before we move on from this too, like I'm definitely not anticipating that Pleasant's going to be a player that's starting in the slot um, or potentially even a corner this year as a true freshman, but there is a role that for a guy like him to play just because he has that one elite trait, right? Like he has that elite top end speed. And I mean, frankly, like shoot, if you're running a 10 one, four, you're also elite out of the blocks. You got that short area explosion explosion as well. Um, and having that there, there's a role that will, that can exist for you without a real developed technical skill set, right? Like just go be a 10, one guy, right? Go out there, um, line you up in the slot, put you or put you in a stat in a uh, in a stack or a bunch of receivers, and you're going to be the guy that presses vertical. And that safety better. I mean, you might not be the primary read, but if that safety isn't like bailing immediately, you're you're now the primary read because you're just going to run by everybody. And that doesn't and, and being faster than everybody on the field isn't something that requires a lot of technical development, right? So um, I agree. I, he's a raw football player and. Uh, I think that regardless of which side of the ball he ends up on, and maybe he's a guy that plays a little bit both ways. Uh, he's a player who um, just due to his explosive talent, which I mean is genuinely rare. Like we have had a lot of really fast guys at Oregon. Roderick Pleasant's fastest 100 meter is two tenths faster than the next fastest guy we've had. Um, he's four tenths faster than Devin Allen. I mean, he's being Devin Allen by nearly a half second at the same stage in their development in the 100 meter. I mean, our current slot receiver, Chris Hudson, I believe was an 11 second 100 meter guy. He's almost beaten him by a full second, right? So like, this is a really, really explosive player. Um, and I think that because of that rare explosiveness, there's going to be a role that can be creative if the coaches uh, or the, the coaches are going to be able to find for him just due to that raw talent. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, and Pleasant is another top 100 player in this class, right? Uh, so, you know, joining, you know, Jerion Dickey and Mateo Uyangalele uh, uh, in that category. So Oregon signed three top 100 kids, and then I think four or five more that are in that kind of top 150, top 175 range, you know, depending on which service you look at and, and which composite and all those things. Well, so, And not only that, but Oregon signed four of the top 10 players in the state of California, um, which is two more than USC signed and... I mean, ASU is the only other team in the Pac-12 that signed one. So Oregon owned the – well, I apologize. The, uh, USC signed Walker Lions. So they signed three. Um, but still, Oregon really getting into Southern California and not losing any grasp. And, and yeah, Lions so, have gone for two years, so what do you really have on a mission, obviously? Yeah. But, yeah, so Oregon uh, now with 29 scholarship commits in the in the 2023 class, finishing number eight in the overall team composite rankings, and number one in the Pac-12 for the fifth straight year. Uh, so it's you know Dan Landing and company getting it done on the trail once again. Um, obviously, the the other guy they were in the mix for coming into today was uh, Nicholas Harbor, the the five star athlete out of uh, the D.C. area, who ended up opting to go with uh, South Carolina. Um, in today's announcement, do we want to touch on that at all? Any, any last thoughts on that commitment? Obviously, it would have been a nice to have for Oregon, um, but you know, certainly you can't you can't be sad with the class that, that they are going to sign that they did sign, and then of course finishing with Pleasant today. 
the way I look at this is like I would have been super excited about having Harbor, um, and I, I'm a little I was a little bummed this morning when when he ended up going to the South Carolina. I know there's been a lot of back and forth over the last 24 to 48 hours about which one of those two schools he'd end up at. Uh, but I think that Oregon still getting Roderick Pleasant on the board, you're getting the skill set you were looking for, right? You're getting that super explosive long speed guy that's gonna that's gonna give space um, give space to your to your other receivers uh, just through their ability to stretch the defense. And so um, I, I would be it would be much more disappointing had Oregon missed on both, but Oregon still got a guy with rare speed today uh, to fill that role. Yeah, uh, agree with you, and I'm glad we're talking about it. I mean, there's no reason, you know, yeah, does this file under under bad news? Sure, it does. It stings a little. You know, I know, I know Duck fans were reluctant to get their hopes up, and then, you know, everybody, you know, rivals 24-7, myself, on three, whatever, you know, starts pointing to Oregon, and it's like, oh, man, maybe this thing's going to happen. Uh, you know, obviously this morning it shifted back the direction of South Carolina, who ultimately landed him. Um, there's, there's no need to, to say that this isn't a good prospect, uh, but by no means, you know, does this cripple Oregon's class. I think, like you said, uh, Andrew, you feel really good that, that they did get pleasant going over two probably, you know, would have left a, a much more sour taste in the mouth for sure. Uh, you know, than, than going one for two, like they did. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, a guy like pleasant, you know, he's a West coast guy will help you recruiting next year. There's a lot to like about that. A lot of positives. Um, the speed is there, might even translate to football a little bit better than Harbor's, um, you know, raw freakish talent. And of course, he's a raw freakish talent. So, I mean, you know, if you're South Carolina, you're Oregon, you're whoever, you're excited to get a guy like that on campus and try and figure something out with him. But um, yeah, I think, um, you know, two things. And I know we talked about this off air real quick. Um, you know, does it suck for Oregon to lose out on some of these five stars in the fashion that they did, you know, to see Dante Moore? you know, slip at the end and to, you know, not close on Caden Proctor, to not close on Peyton Bowen, who committed to you, but signed with Oklahoma moments later and, and David Hicks and the, you know, the names go on and on. Yeah, that does suck. I think that, you know, Dan Lanning and, and Marshall Malco and, and those guys get together and say, all right, how do we take, you know, we did a really, really good job getting ourselves in this position to be in the game, to be in the top two, to be the final two, you know, getting right up to the finish line. Now, how do we finish and close on these guys? So I think, you know, if that's the next step and if they're able to, you know, progress in the way that they did getting Oregon into the final two or whatnot for most of these guys, um, you know, then then you might see Oregon signing, you know, potentially, you know, three to five five star guys in the 2024 class. And and so it's a natural progression. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and with the transfers that they brought in. I don't know how any Duck fan isn't excited top to bottom at, at what they did with this class and and the and the way that it helps kind of benefit the roster. It really fills a lot of holes on this roster for Dan Lanning. Yeah, I agree. I think this was Oregon's best class of all time. I mean, just look at the volume. I mean, you signed 29 guys, um, and the overall quality of like it's not like this class is like carried by four guys at the top. I mean, you had obvious opportunities that you left on the table uh, with some of the guys that you just mentioned, Justin, and you still have the number eight class in the country. Uh, really cover all of your bases with quality depth across the board in terms of the uh, in terms of the class. Like, there's not like you didn't just get one good defensive lineman and then a bunch of low three star guys. Like you, you got good quality across the board throughout the entire class. Um, 
and then you went into the portal and got 10 guys, all of whom it's pretty safe to assume are going to play pretty major impactful roles next year on this team. So, um, like there was talked about today during Dan's presser and also during the uh, morning show that they did on Go Ducks. Like this roster is really Dan, like Coach Landing's roster now. Um, like over 75% of the roster was brought in by him and his staff. Uh, and they and I, I know they feel really, really well about what they've accumulated here in terms of talent and also the sep- the class separation. Um, it's not just a bunch of freshmen, right? They've, they've done a good job of bringing in impactful upperclassmen as well uh, to set the tone and to give you some veteran presence on this team. Yeah, I've got uh, 73% uh, new players added by since Dan Lane took over as head coach. So uh, 47% of the scholarship roster from turning over this offseason and then 23 guys returning that were added last offseason. So 73% of the total roster and obviously the other the other 20 guys that make up the the other 27% are are players that are obviously, you know, Dan's guys now, right? They've been in the system all year. They're staying in for year two, so they're also Dan's guys. And, and of course, that number could, you know, Oregon is still six scholarships, six to seven scholarships over, depending on scholarship math. So that number is going to change a little bit as well before we actually get to the fall. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know, Marshall Malco was on this morning before Dan, and, you know, I think he he did say something that resonated with, with me is, you know, at, during his time with Texas A&M, they went out and signed this elite number one ranked recruiting class. And it, you know, had 30 guys in it or whatever the number was. The problem is they didn't bring any transfers with it. So you brought in this ridiculously talented class, but you're still counting on true freshmen to come in and play right away. And that's very dangerous, right? Cause not all those guys, of course, not all those guys should be expected to play. And even the ones that you think should come in and contribute right away, you know, might not be ready, might be developmental guys, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lesson there that maybe he learned and brought with him to Dan Lanning is that, hey, look, we can go sign this big class, but we need to get some of the experienced guys with it so that, you know, we're not sitting here counting on, you know, Mateo to come in and play right away and he's potentially not ready or, you know, go down the line or the list of names, Durian Dickey, same thing, whatever. Um, so I think that was a lot of value there is that not only did Oregon assemble this recruiting class the way that they did, it doesn't include the transfers that they brought in. And I think we all agree a lot of those guys, if not all of them, are really ready made to contribute right away and be and be key components to, you know, a Pac-12 championship run or, or whatever the case might be for this next season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we've been talking about this over the last several episodes and, and you know, the, the 29 prep athletes plus 10 transfers, 39 total new commits you know, coming in. And I, honestly, I think, like you said, there's a lot of, of freshmen coming in, not just in this cycle, but then you got the redshirt freshman from last year. But but overall, I, I think to your point, like we're not really, I don't think Oregon is really counting on that many of them to start for sure. And, and even necessarily to play a big role. I mean, maybe here and there, right. Maybe at edge, you'd like to see, you know, someone, someone like a, like a Mateo or one of the other, or a Blake purchase or somebody to be able to step up or, or maybe, you know, one of the redshirt guys to be able to play a role there and fill, it doesn't necessarily have to be a starter, right. That's why you went out and got, and got Birch. Um, but someone who can actually, you know, take snaps and, and deliver at a, you know, at a pack 12 caliber level of play at least. Right. Um, you know, that I think that's what you're looking at at that position. Maybe, you know, it's hard to really see uh, too many other places on the roster. I mean, maybe a Sadiq now with our, you know, kind of Herbert and Ferguson ahead of him, a tight end. Maybe Sadiq, someone you'd like to, you know, 
to see be able to fill a role. Doesn't have to start, doesn't have to play heavy snaps, but if he can fill a role for 10 to 15 snaps a game. Uh, you know, Dowdell certainly is a guy who could, but you don't necessarily need him to with the, with all the, the guys in front of him at running back. You know, probably Dickey is the, is the one guy you probably need to fill uh, again, not necessarily a starting spot because you got Troy coming back and you got Holden you brought in. Uh, if Dickey does take a starting spot, great. But at the very least, you probably need him to be in the two deep and be contributing uh, regularly. So I, I don't think Oregon needs a ton of freshmen to play, and that's a, a luxury to have. But at the same point, the more that they can play and build them, um, you know, for for 2024 and beyond, then the, the better off the team is going to be going forward as well. So, yeah, I agree with you. I there's when you take a class like this and you also pair it with the type of transfer class and you have the the re, the returning roster composition that Oregon already had in regards to just quality starters guys who are ready to play um and guys who have played significant roles already you're not you're not counting on any particular player in this class to come in and have to play a role which is really the situation you want to be in you don't want to be in a situation where it's like all right well uh, we don't have anybody else, so you have to start at left guard this year. Um, it, it's a it's a position where now, because of how well you recruited through the portal and how well you've developed your current roster, if guys come in and flash and are ready to take reps from these like more experienced players who have proven track records, then it's just a bonus, right? It's, it's one of those things where, and when you take a class of twenty nine guys, I would expect that there's probably going to be four or five guys that are like, wow, this guy's ready to play he's gonna he's gonna come in and take reps from an experienced player who we think is good um and i don't know who those five are gonna be i mean i think that there's certainly more of a chance that that happens at somewhere like the edge um than it does on the offensive line but that's that is like the that is where every coach in america wants to be is where they're the combination of their transfer portal guys and their returners are good enough for them to think they can go win 10 or 11 games next year. And then you bring in a class of 29 guys as a top 10 class, and it gives opportunity for a handful of those guys to flash and the rest of them to to develop and play more tertiary roles and and get those garbage time snaps that we started to see become more prevalent this year. Well, it's, you know, even with, let's use, for example, Nick Saban in Alabama signing nine five stars or whatever he did uh, in this cycle, which is a tremendous class, tremendous haul. More than likely, you know, three to four of those guys uh, at most would start. And I doubt even three to four of them will start. You know, they, they may play, you know, contributing roles like we outlined. But, you know, again, that's because they've probably assembled a pretty good roster in front of it, um, you know, one to three years in front of it. And, and I think that that's what Dan Lanning's trying to do. He might not be quite obviously up to that progression where Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are in terms of their stacking of, of roster um, talent, but you just keep inching closer and closer towards it when you put classes together like this. And ultimately, like the one that he signed coming in last year, you know, bringing in those, I don't know how many transfers Oregon bring in last year, like 12 or 13 or whatever, 11, something like that. I think it was 11, yeah. I think it was 11. I mean, and, and only maybe one of them didn't really, like, start or contribute a lot. And, uh, you know, so, again, if you do that with this group that you brought in, you're going to be able to bring those guys behind it, those 29 signees that you've got uh, from the prep level. 
they're going to get to develop. And, and then, you know, in two to three years, you know, because you see that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart don't have to live in the transfer portal much. They do. They will for, you know, rare talents and they will get some guys, but they don't live in it. And I think that's where Oregon will, will get to a point potentially if they continue the way they are is taking fewer and fewer transfers because they're able to just really rely on the talent that they've brought in, you know, one to three years before that. Yeah. Ideally that's where you live, right? You, you live through your high school development and then when it's needed, when you miss or when there's a talent that really can um, elevate your roster, you go to the portal and you, you add that piece to make you better. Um, And I think that, with where Oregon was and and where the roster was when Lanning took over, I think we probably thought it was a little better than it actually is. Um, And like they've gone to the portal and they've added, I mean, I believe the number is 16 guys on next year's team. um, Cause some of those guys were one and dones like Christian Gonzalez, Chase Coda um, and Jordan Riley, for example, are guys that are not going to be on the team from last year's transfer hall, but you take the 10 from last year, from this year, and you mix it in with this, the five or six or whatever it was from last year that are still going to be around. Um, and now you have, you have 16 upperclassmen guys that can form the nucleus of your starting lineups and your rotations, mix that in with the guys that are still around from the crystal ball classes who have proven to be contributing players, guys like, um, Jackson Powers Johnson and Marcus Harper and Troy Franklin, for instance, on offense and, and, and Terrence Ferguson. And then you supplement that even further with these with these young, talented guys that could give you the pop. Like I think of us playing Georgia in week one this year and Malachi Starks um, being one of the better players on the field. And he was a true freshman in his first game. Right. Like that's the kind of like you're looking for those guys to come in and rip reps away from competent play, not to have to count on guys to play before they're ready, which I think was the the main point of what uh, Marshall was talking about this morning on the uh, the Godux cast. Can we play a little bit of a game here uh, with our recruiting class. Yeah, okay. for sure. Uh, so let's kind of kind of hit some questions, and you tell me who from our recruiting class. Let's just stick to the high school class, so the twenty nine high school players. Um, who fits that that bill? So let's start with, you know, personally, who is your favorite recruit from this class? And it could be for any reason. Uh, Justin, let's start with you. Oh, man, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know that I have an answer. I'm the one. Okay, so how, how about this? I'll tell you the one that immediately jumped in my head uh, was Durian Dickey, and and I think it's just because following up on what QB eleven said there, Andrew said is that you're looking for at this point that freshman that comes in and commands to start or commands a lot of snaps because he he's that good. You can't keep him off the field. Right. And I think that jury on Dickey is that guy. I think that he's the guy that um, will show up and everybody's going to just, you know, you're, we're going to hear the practice reports about how this kid looks and you know, that he's ready made to play and, and, and some of those things. And I think that, you know, that's maybe the answer. And the other reason I say this is because uh, you know, for those that maybe don't know, you know, he's a kid that's come up a little bit harder of a background, hasn't maybe necessarily had the support system in place. Um, even with Dante Moore decommitting, he never wavered like he was a duck early on and, and pretty much stuck by the ducks. I know there was a couple Miami visits, but there never really was like a real, real threat there. Um, and so I, I think that those are the the reasons that I really like Jurion Dickey, which makes him 
kind of a, a popular pick, I guess, if you will. Um, but I guess to back that up, Austin Novosad jumps in my mind just because, you know, I think that it was great for Oregon to go out. And even though you lose Dante Moore, who's terrific, you go and get somebody that's like, Hey, I feel good about this. I this could be a guy, you know, Bo Nix has got one more year, you know, this could be our next guy. And, you know, he kind of looks like a, a young man that could come in and, and get developed and, and let's face it, quarterback's the most important position on the field, on the team. And while Oregon's been, you know, somewhat fortunate to live uh, through the transfer portal, I like that they went out and got a really good prep quarterback and, um, you know, we'll have some time to develop him. All right. No cheating. You get one answer per question. You might have. No, you didn't say that. You didn't say that. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, okay, QB, who's your guy? Uh, I'm going to go Blake Purchase. I I think um, in terms of like, physically being ready to play early um, and being at a position of need. I think Blake Purchase is pretty criminally underrated. Um, I I know he's got like really good competitive temperament. I know he's got really good explosive traits. And I think that he's going to be a player that can make an impact as a pass rusher early. Um, So I, I was kind of between him and Amari Washington. So. Gotcha. Uh, Mine was going to be Dickie as well, uh, but I'll, I'll go with the second right wide receiver, Ashton Cozart. Um, And one of the reasons I really loved him was he he committed fairly early in the process for Oregon. And he was at least from, from what I saw coming across my timeline, he was one of the more consistent and outspoken and vocal, um, you know, tweeters, I guess, if you, if you will, from a product standpoint, like he was always on there tweeting product stuff, you know, seemingly every day. And, and I always like um, kids who get really excited to be a duck and really, you know, pump it up constantly on social media. So I love him for that. And I think he's a great player, obviously, as well. I think he's going to be, uh, you know, a factor in the wide receiver room in the years ahead. So I'll, I'll put him as my, as my guy there. Uh, next question, who do you think was the biggest I don't want to say steal, but like maybe the most surprised, the guy that Oregon got that you didn't think they would or should or, or could. Uh, 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 go, ahead. Andrew go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dylan Austin. So that was a guy that Justin had tipped me off like very early in the process. I think it was like basically two weeks after he had committed to LSU, Justin was like, yeah. I think this is a guy that ends up at Oregon. I was like, yeah, I'm sure the guy that just committed to LSU to play corner because, you know, LSU is really bad at developing that position uh, is going to flip to Oregon. And then it happened. And I'm like, okay, um, this is really good because to me, he's a lot like Florence. He's a long guy who has way better short area quickness and flexibility than most long guys have uh, at the corner position. And so that to me is a huge, huge pickup and a player that I actually think like if we're talking about guys that can break into a rotation early, I think Dalen Austin's a guy that certainly can. Um, so that one was a big one to build a flip, a high end corner talent that they really did not want to lose from LSU on national signing day. Um, that is one of the under talked about storylines of this recruiting cycle. Yeah. I, I think mine's fairly obvious and it's, you know, it's Mateo Uwagalale and, um, I think for the reason just that we've seen Oregon miss out on that type of prospect far too often. Um, And I know that that's not something that changes overnight. You know, Oregon fans would love to close on every five star that they're mentioned for, but it's not realistic. Um, So you keep moving that number up, you know, eventually you close on one, then maybe you close on two or three and that's kind of the process. That's how you build it. And I think that, you know, Ohio state seemingly had such a, a, a large lead on everybody for a long time. 
And I think there was a lot of chatter that maybe Mateo just kind of wanted to get away from the West Coast to play his ball. Um, but obviously that wasn't the case and, and things changed. And um, I never really felt, despite all the reports, that USC was the main threat. But I did think that there was other schools that, that seemed to be a threat. And let's face it, um, very few have recruited defensive line as well as Ohio State has in the last you know, four to five years. So I think that might have been the biggest surprise to me in the end was that Oregon was able to sign him. Okay, I'll go with one, and I think it's the, our guy, the guy we picked up today, Roger Pleasant. Um, and and uh, Hop, I'll give you some shout out to this because I think you've been kind of the one guy out there who's consistently the last month been saying Oregon's got a real shot here. And I think a lot of other, a lot of other re- recruiting uh, reporters and and just Oregon Duck fans and everybody had kind of written Pleasant off a long time ago, and and uh, maybe I'll include myself in that. I just felt like he was USC the entire cycle, the entire year. Uh, I know he took a visit up here, but it never like he didn't really decommit. He, he kept going to USC like seemingly every week. He's he's there with his guys. So and that one I think was a really great job by the staff to first of all be able to get him to not. And I think you know maybe Oregon had a hand in this, maybe they didn't, but get him to not sign in the early signing period, right, and stretch that commitment out to the second signing day, and then be able to pour a lot of attention on closing the deal with. Even though they didn't get him to come for another visit in January. Clearly, the work the staff put in over the course of the last month on Pleasant and to get him to, get him to seal the deal. And I don't want to say flip because he never committed to USC, but at least, you know, maybe maybe kind of a, an off-the-radar flip in the, in the standpoint of it seemed to be a heavy lean in that direction for a long time. And, and at the end, you know, he's going to sign with Oregon. So that'll be my one there. This, uh, this is a good opportunity really quick, too. Like, for those of you that are Scoop Duck subscribers, and if you're not, I don't know what you're doing, but... Like if you read the the juice last week, there was a lot of hints dropped in that juice about Roderick Pleasant, and everyone instantly wrote him off as soon as he got removed from he got scratched from the last weekend visit list. Um, and Justin was very subtle, but he he did leave some uh, he he left a trail to follow in the juice about the fact that it, this was not the end for Pleasant with him not visiting on that weekend. Um, and I know that Justin has been really confident for a couple of weeks. I know he's been told to keep that on the low, but the staff has done a really good job with that one. And uh, Justin was on top of it the entire time. And he can't always outright say things in his articles on, on Scoop Duck, but a lot of times you can pay attention to what he's not saying and you can glean a lot from that. Well, and, you know, and thank you for that. But I mean, on top of that, it really kind of just cements where Oregon's been successful in recruiting in you know the fact that they've been able to kind of keep some of these guys low key and then you know what i mean if you don't have you know steve wolfong greg biggins and some of the other heavyweight national industry kind of guys writing about them and saying oh watch out for oregon watch out for oregon they tend to kind of lay in the weeds and and you know dalen austin's an example and roderick pleasant's an example where nobody was really giving oregon a shot and then all of a sudden kind of a you know kerpow here we go um so yeah it's just kind of ironic that i guess maybe the two go hand in hand and maybe i should just you know i should just write less about some of these guys so they can get more of them (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right next question up um who from let's say from three stars three stars in this class who do you see as underrated or as a real guy who could pop and really make an impact it doesn't have to be this year but you know let's say the next couple of years uh, oh pick me pick me (laughs) okay you're up uh solomon davis I think that was one where um, 
I had never heard of him. I knew that like he he decommitted from Arizona. I don't know how far we can go into this because of Oregon. Um, and it was pretty clear right away he was going to go to Oregon. I know he visited Notre Dame, uh, but like that, he's a really good player. Um, he's a really again fits the mold. Like we're we're getting bigger at corner, but we are not sacrificing short area twitch and mobility to do so, which I like. I hate when teams like, oh, we're going to get big at corner, we're going to get long at corner, and what they do is they get a bunch of guys who are stiff, can't change directions, and can only play zone. Like, that is not at all what Solomon Davis is, and I think Solomon Davis, when it's all said and done, is going to be, like, the criminally underrated player of this class. I think he's a guy um, – I, I almost – I think he's more ready to play than some guys that are rated higher than him on our commitment list. Yeah, I think I think it's a great pick, um, and it was probably my second pick. But the first one that I, I was waiting on, because I was hoping you'd ask this question when you asked about favorite player originally. I was like, well, Doug might ask later on about the under the radar, under the radar, underrated kind of guy, and and mine has always you. been. Yeah, mine's always been um, Tatum Tuiati, and uh, I know he's a coach's son, um, you know, but he's been tucked away at Sheldon, which, you know, as we know, Oregon recruits by and large don't get a lot of love and, and typically aren't highly ranked. Didn't go to any camps, didn't send out his film, wasn't, you know, hitting up guys on social media asking for a rankings bump. It's just not his deal. I think he's, you know, he's got the measurables and he's got the work pal mentality. Um coach's son love that about him um and and i think to a previous point that that andrew made earlier i think that blake purchase and tatum tuiati are two guys with a need for edge players that come in and contribute not saying they start not playing saying they play a ton of steps but i think that those are two guys that we end up seeing on the field this season contributing for oregon all right i i'll i'll throw a couple out there um i think uh, you can only do one, Doug. You said you can only do one. Okay. I'll go with the I, if, if we're if we're breaking the rules, I have a second guy that I don't think either one of you would pick. We can do a second round. How about that? You guys, um, you guys go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so okay, then I'm going to go for the guy I was going to go with originally. I think Jaden Moore, um, another edge player. All right. Well, now I don't have a second one. So. <laughs> I think uh, you know, kind of like you talk about QB. I think he's got the right the right body and skill set and, and measurables for that position. This guy's going to probably need more development. And, and obviously with, with a, a lot of guys competing for time at that position, I don't necessarily see him as, as a guy who's going to break through this year, but I do think he's somebody that after a couple of years of development can, can really be a factor off the edge. Well, I think he probably has the highest. Well, okay. Mateo, other than Mateo, um, I think he more might have the highest ceiling of any of the edge players that we brought in this year. Um, but it's going to be a matter of his his frame needs to develop. But again, really, like he's got very very good short area quickness for his length, and he can he's got good body control, and he can change directions, and he's got the bend um, for once he gets to the apex of the rush to, to flatten. And so, like those are the skill those are the underlying skill sets you're looking for. But not every time you find that skill set is it going to be a guy that's ready to come in and do it right away. Um, and he needs to get stronger, and he's going. To, so he could play against the run. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he was one of the mid-year guys who's already on campus. And so that process has already begun, and we don't know how long that process takes. Some guys, they can do it in one offseason. Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes two. Uh, but I think he's a guy that at some point, um, I don't think his talent is that of a three-star. I just think that he, he's undervalued because he's not as college-ready from a like step-onto-the-field standpoint. Um, but 
he's a really, really good player in my opinion. And I think he's going to be a guy that plays um, a pretty significant role before he's done at Oregon. Yeah. And a, maybe a sidebar for me, I don't recall because I'm going off memory, but I think Janoris Wilson is a four star, but if he is, he's barely, but I just would probably... got bumped up yesterday. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's a guy for me just because we only mentioned defensive guys. I kind of, I kind of feel like Janoris Wilson might be an offensive guy that it, let's just say he's hovering around three or four star. He's not as highly rated as others. I think that's a guy that might surprise us as well this season. Yeah, that kind of brings me to something else that, like, just an overarching theme of this class, too, is, like, these guys have all, like, if you look at their general trend lines, they've all been going up in the rankings um, throughout the process, and it's not because this staff is calling Steve Wiltfong and uh, Cooper Patania and, like, trying to get them to move our guys up. I think it's just because, overall, they stuck to the and, – and you heard the staff, if you if you watched the Go Ducks uh, morning thing that they did or if you listened to Lanning's press conference like they are we're trying to get bigger and we're trying to get faster um and like we we hit on the underlying traits that we looked for like this is a extremely toolsy class like there was no compromising on tools really anywhere in this class like they didn't go get just get a guy because he was rated a 0.894 star at one point just so that it made the class look better they went and got guys that fit the profiles that they have outlined at each position and guys that make us bigger guys that make us faster and more dynamic um, and they really believe in their ability to develop these players and so um, I I really really like this class and I think that we could I could spend all day talking about the bottom 10 guys in this class for that very reason because each and every one of these guys has a pretty unique skill set that they bring to the table um, and and some underlying traits that I think are really easily projectable uh, and so good job to the staff for that and it also uh, reflects in the rankings just because of how deep the class is with four with four star guys. I think we have 19 four stars signed in this class. Um, that's which is certainly a record for Oregon. 20 blue chips, yeah, one one five star, 19 four stars. Yeah, yeah that's pretty nuts. Well, and your your three star guys, while they might be somewhat developmental, they're not these huge projects, right? I mean, they're not like, hey, let's just hope this guy pans out for his senior year. You know, they're guys like you said that has projectables and, and fits, um, you know, a need. Uh, and I think we could go on and on about this question, like because Ty Turner, I think he's barely a four star. He was a three star when he committed. You know, another guy that I think Oregon did a really good job evaluating and, and a guy we might hear about this year. And, and then Kenyon Sadiq, again, I know he's a, a, you know, I think he's a top 200 guy now, but he wasn't when Oregon, you know, got him committed. I think he was barely a three star, might have barely been a four star, you know, and uh, a, he finished, a, he, yeah, he finished top 125, actually. He's yeah, he, he just shot up the rankings. But when he committed, he was barely a four star, if I recall right. correctly. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it speaks, you know, like you said, just volumes to the fact that they trust their evaluations and and went and filled needs. And uh, instead of just kind of star chasing, which can be dangerous. And I think kind of got Oregon into a little bit of the predicament they were in. See yeah, the, the 2021 the guys, class. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like, that I think that the the difference here is that the players are ending up highly ranked, um, but it's it, it's not that it's it, it's more of the chicken and the egg, right? Like they're ending up highly ranked because the, the staff evaluated the right guys in the right ways instead of the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I. I, I don't just say this to say it because I'm, I'm not going to risk whatever limited credibility I have just like pumping up guys just because they signed with Oregon. Cause there were times like, man, I remember at the end of some of those Helfrich classes 
Um, and sometimes at the end of, of Mario classes where we would take a guy and I'm watching him, I'm just like, what in the hell are we doing here? Like, this is a guy that's going to be here for two years and transfer. Like, there's a 0% hit rate. This is not a quality use of a scholarship. And there's really nobody on our, our on our in this class that strikes me as a guy that doesn't have traits that can unlock, like, potential over time. Um, and, like, there was no, like, late desperation plays here to fill a spot because we really needed somebody at one spot or another. And yeah, I can vouch but- for... I can vouch for several times over the years, I, you know, you telling me things like that off the record, you know, being like, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to name, name players' names, but I, I mean, it, you're certainly, I can remember those very clearly. Um, and you're right. I, 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 I haven't heard you say that in anybody this class. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Andrew and I coordinate on the evaluations that we do on Scoop Duck. And, you know, sometimes the immediate response is, really we're taking this guy you know or i don't see it or you know and 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 i i think there was only maybe once or twice this year where you might have echoed something like you know well let me look into him a little more but i'm not sure and you know i guess to your point it was a lot less than it's been in previous years and and certainly the you know the it speaks volumes that the guy that oregon took to finalize its roster was a top 100 athlete and one of the fastest players in the country which most years would have probably been our second or third highest you know ranked recruit so they definitely did something right this time yeah yeah and like the justin knows like typically like if if, uh, if an eval is like three weeks late it's like I had writer's block. Like I didn't know what to say about a guy. Um, <laughs> like, there's just like I didn't have anything nice to say. He plays so football. Just, yeah, he plays. He, football. Plays, he plays. He plays the footballs. Um, but no, this class, this class was not really that way. And it's funny because the only times I pushed back on you, we ended up not taking guys. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or or they like randomly picked another school, and we got to act like we didn't want them anyway. So that worked out well. Uh, word word to Tretch. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty uh, awesome class in that regard. And there's a lot of lot of really interesting skill sets here that I think. I mean, the most exciting part is is like this defensive line class to me. I look at it and there's just so many guys. Like I remember texting you, Justin, last March about Amari Washington and being like, I don't care what we have to do. Like, who's firstborn child that we have to give up in the ritualistic sacrifice? But like, we need to get this guy. And right. like looking at these, this defensive line class, like Amari Washington is now one of like six guys that I feel that way about. Um, and, and the best part is none of them have to play significant roles next year unless they just come in and start taking jobs from good players. Uh, and that to me is like, that's what, that's what gives me so much confidence moving forward into the future and into next season that this is a really good football team. Well, the other side yeah. of that too, on both the defensive line and the edge is they took so many guys, like even if only half of them, hit like you're still set you're still set for this class yeah we haven't even talked about a johnny bowens or a, or or terrence green or guys that I, I i know that you know does andrew absolutely love them and say they yes. want to start or no but i mean you know you're very high on them and say like hey these are great guys that most years we would be absolutely giddy to have and we haven't even mentioned them because there's other really good players along with them so it, it's uh yeah, they really did a good job. I, I think maybe, I don't, I don't know if Doug was going to lead us there, but you know, I would say that maybe the offensive line group overall could use a little bit of help. I don't know that it needs like this massive overhaul, but 
you know, one or two maybe higher ranked guys might have been nice. Um, but of course, the additions of uh, Johnny Cornelius and Junior Angelau really softened that blow because both those guys are going to play. Both those guys are going to start. Well, and you got the number one Juco tackle, right? And like, again, Juco kids, I think you might as well flip a coin. Um, yeah. But yeah. like, if you're going to take a Juco kid, like taking the number one Juco tackle who's six seven, three hundred and thirty pounds and carries <laughs> it really, really well on his brand new football and just a really good athlete is probably like where you want to go with that. So even though I don't like there, what this was a really bad West coast offensive line class. Yeah. Um, I thought they did a really good, I thought that coach Clem did a really good job of getting creative and going national, like just really quickly kind of just like Bryce Bolton, for instance, like Bryce Bolton is one of the ones where it's like, all right, this is like, this is one of those coin flips. Like he either is going to be able to carry the weight to make him a good player at the college level, or he's not. And that's going to probably be pretty apparent in the first 18 months he's on campus. But if he can, the athlete, like his overall athleticism is off the charts. Um, so if he can, if he can carry and sustain the weight necessary to play, then that's a guy that is certainly under ranked. Now you, the, the, he's ranked where he is because there's nothing certain about that projection. Um, but like Moala from modern day was a guy that didn't play his junior year. And so, um, his recruitment really actually blew up during the season and, and we were able to get him over quite a few other schools. Uh, and I think that he's a guy that projects really well at guard and George Silva, we already talked about. Um, and then some of the early enrollees, Janoris Wilson was a guy that was committed to Auburn that I know coach Clem was really, really high on. Um, th- my, my question, and then you have a little, little Ope, Laulu, uh, Ipani. Uh, who, who's a guy who is just a big interior guy who if athletically, as long as he can carry the weight properly, I think he can, can be a contributor. The only question is like the prep tackles, right? Cause I don't know that any of these guys are yeah. tackles at, at the college level. And so that just gives you a really clear um, like point for 2024 classes. We need to get to like three prep, good prep tackles, and they already got one in Fox Crater. And uh, I know Oregon sits in a really good spot for 2024 tackle from modern day Brandon Baker, uh, and I know that they're prioritizing some other tackles as well. So um, I think that they did a great job on the interior of the offensive line in this class. And just by numbers, if you hit on 50% of those guys, you're going to be in good shape. Uh, I talk about this often, but like as someone who also roots for Wisconsin. Back in the heyday of Wisconsin, like offensive line back in the 2000s into like the early 2010s to like 2016, 17, they just took six every year and 50% of them washed out. And the 50% that didn't added to a really deep room and they always had really good offensive lines and two guys went pro every year. And that was just what they did. Um, And the second that they got away from that and they stopped taking as many guys that their hit, they had a couple bad years in a row on hit rate and their offensive line started to struggle. And so um, I think that Oregon is taking the right approach on the lines. They are just taking bulk. They're taking volume on, on players with the skill sets they desire fully understanding that if you, if you hit on 50%, you're doing a really good job. Um, and they, they're just going to keep slamming the right body type into the weight room into into the program. And over time, it's going to the 50% that come out, are going to make us really damn good up front. And a uh, little, go oh, go ahead. I just did a quick sidebar, funny story on Bryce Bolton last week, buddy of mine watches college football, but you know, he's not like a diehard or anything. He's not on the site or anything. And he texts me, he goes, Hey, you know who Bryce Bolton is? 
It's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, he signed with Oregon. Like, yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea on that. <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, well, I'm here, I'm here in Palm Desert and I'm eating at his mom's restaurant. I was like, oh, crap, that's crazy. I didn't know that they, you know, owned a restaurant down there. And he's like, yeah. And he told me the name and the kind of food. He goes, this, this food is freaking awesome. Like, it's so good. And then I ended up, you know, texting, uh, texting his mom, the story, you know, you know, text her, Hey, my buddy just ate it, ate at the restaurant yesterday or whatever. And was, she goes, Oh, it's funny. And it's just, you know, one of those small world reminders, but anyways, that's all the sidebar was just kind of funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know. I, I like taking guys like that. Like if, if, if you're going to take like lower quote unquote, lower ranked guys, cause I think we talked about this on our last pod that like the rankings, from a player to player standpoint, like one guy ranked 15th versus 35th doesn't mean anything to me, but if you're going to take guys that are, you're taking more flyers on, they need to have at least one elite trait. Right. And so for Bolton, like I, I know that kid wants it really bad and I know he's going to work hard, but he also has like, you, you don't teach feet like that. Like he's got really, really good feet, um, elite feet. And so again, if he can put on the mass, I think Bolton's got a good shot to be a really good player. I think he would project really, really well at center, um, but he's got he's going to have to do the work. He's going to have to force himself to eat 7000 calories a day or whatever they're going to put him on and and really work hard to retain that mass because he's, he's naturally got a pretty lean frame. Um, but I think a kid like that can do it. And like I, I think it's good to take three to four kids like that a year that like if they hit, it's going to be a home run. Um, and he seems like such a fantastic kid and I've heard his parents speak and I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm really rooting for that one. I think, um, you know, maybe on our next episode, we start pivoting into 2024 and talking about, you know, some of the early, I know Oregon's already got some commitments there and maybe some of the positions and players for us to watch as, as we all start turning the page and start learning a whole new, a whole new set of, of names and, and players and faces, um, for every year, it's always that fun transition from, from one class to the next, but I do have one, one kind of final question for you both on the 23 classes. We kind of put a bow on it and I'm going to harken back to, uh, you know, one of the best speeches in, in movie history, which is the Alec Baldwin speech from Glengarry Glenn Ross, where he says, you know, always be closing ABC, always be closing. And, and of course, coffee is for closers. So do Dan and team, are they drinking coffee today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we might get another cigar video here later tonight. Who knows? Well, oh, he'll be at the recruiting dinner, so maybe he can't get away with it today, but you never know. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like they warmed up some pots of coffee. Um, I, 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 we've, we've said it enough and it's not to oversell it, but it was a great class top to bottom. Just, it fills all the holes, checks almost nearly every box. It's not just bodies or dead space trying to, to fill up roster spots. It's like, Hey, is this guy going to be able to contribute at some point? Okay, let's sign him, you know. Um, so, yeah, definitely, even with in light of Harbor and his decision to go to South Carolina, you're still drinking coffee because you put yourself in so many great positions that you were just that close to a David Hicks or a Peyton Bowen or Caden Proctor. The list goes on and on. And um, that's the progression, right, is to get to that point. And now the next progression is, okay, how do we hit on 50% of them instead of 10% or whatever the number is? And so – if you're continuously making that progression, um, you know, I think that you can see that the trajectory is the right way. 
I have a real quick question for the two of you. I don't need to need to answer it, but, and we can make quick, I like that. We'll touch on 24s later and in, in, in spring football and roster. We got plenty of time for that, but uh, following up with Doug series, favorite transfer and it, not somebody that's staying, not Bo Nix, not any of those guys, favorite incoming transfer or guy that you think has the biggest impact, either one that you want to go with Doug, why don't you start us off? Um, I mean, Cornelius, it's gotta be Cornelius. Um, it's a position of absolute need at tackle, um, you know, probably right tackle. He's going to be penned in to start there as he comes in and, and, um, Oregon needs him. He need, they need him to, to be successful and to hit the ground running and to be able to be a, a really strong tackle, you know, out of the box this year. So to me, that's the guy, um, if we want to reach, if Oregon wants to reach the goals they have for this season, uh, they're going to need him to, to be able to contribute at, in a big way. All right, so I want you guys both to guess at who I, you think my answer is to this because I think you're both going to get it right. It's probably Jordan Birch. Bingo. Think, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious there. Yeah. If nothing, yeah. you're consistent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was saving that one for you, QB. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, most valuable positions in the sport, right, other than quarterback or tackle and edge and uh, – Getting the best edge player that hit the portal this, this offseason was like it was a requirement for me to think that this was going to be a great transfer class and they hit it out of the park. Right. And so getting a guy with that kind of talent, like he's already a good football player. And I think like a lot of people have been kind of operating under this like weird, like false assumption that like oh, Jordan Birch is just all all potentially hasn't done anything. Yet. It's like the guy was second in the SEC last year in in pressures um, and was one of the most consistent and higher rated edge run defenders in the country last year. Um, and so it's really just a matter of him taking the next step as a pass rusher, which all the physical tools are there to do that. And so he just needs to do it this off season. And so I'm really excited about Jordan Birch. He was a need. Like we didn't like, I love Mace Funa. I think he's a really valuable player, but he wasn't going to give you that like burst off the edge. And I think that Jordan Birch can. And so, um, to me, it was him and then um, obviously Cornelius. But one of the lesser talked about guys, I think, is Evan Williams. I think that um, adding a really like experienced deep safety with the skill set and the range um, to get over the top is going to make our, our pass defense substantially better. Um, and, and the fact that he's a Williams, and I know how those kids are wired, he's going to be a really good communicator, which is really important in the back half of the defense. Yeah, and it's no slight to Bennett, but he might be even better than Bennett. And I love yeah. Bennett. I love the way he played, the passion, the way he led, all those things. I wish we had him, you know, for one more year at Oregon. But um, yeah, I think I, I just think, you know, for me, all of the guys that you mentioned worth mentioning. I, I feel like because it was early on, we we don't mention him. But Justin Jacobs, the linebacker from Iowa, for me, the position group that really was the worst consistently for Oregon all season long, painful to watch over and over. If that guy hits that, that guy's, you know, throwing himself into a, you know, early round consideration with the NFL. He's leading this conference in tackles, you know, potentially. I just think that there's so much there that, you know, you're taking a guy like that, that takes a, a, a room or a position group that performed it, we'll say like a, a, a D plus level or, or maybe a C minus level and elevates it to what might be much better than that. Um, you know, again, that pass rush up front from a, from a guy like Birch um, or the others that, 
will help that of course as well but yeah i think justin jacobs is, is another one that should be mentioned and and i know i i said his name earlier but junior angelau uh from texas i, I think that's a guy that duck fans are going to love i think he's going to give us some great sound bites uh and i know that he's a guy that's shown up ready to be the leader of that offensive line group which it desperately needs so those two guys uh, you know in my mind assuming full health and everything they, they play and contribute and make this team uh exponentially better next year that was what All I right. had, Doug. I figured I'd take one and, and give you something to answer, Doug. No, you did great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with everybody. I think we named almost every transfer, so I think we, we covered all the bases. But, no, I think, you know, like you said, we got 10, 10 transfers the last year. Nine of them contributed to the team. We took 10 this year. I, I would be shocked if we don't have a similar hit rate or even get all 10. I mean, the staff was very deliberate about their transfers. I mean, they, we, we, we didn't even mention the two Bama ones. guys. That's how good yeah. it is. Exactly. I mean, that's what, you know, out of the 10 guys, seven of them are, are from power five schools. All, yeah. all, pretty much everybody was a contributor at a high level. The three that were from, you know, lower levels were, were like all conference level players at the level they played at. Right. So we're not talking about taking cast offs who didn't play. I, mean, you know, I guess, you know, maybe there's a couple of those. Um, I wouldn't say cast offs, but, you know, guys who didn't play a lot at their previous stops, but they had the measurables and the projectables, just like QB was talking about with, with the high school kids, right? So uh, I think the staff is very deliberate about who they target in the transfer portal, and I'd be shocked if, if all 10 – I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at all if all 10 of these guys, you know, play a role next year. Well, transfer portal recruiting is easier and harder. It's easier because you know exactly what you're getting, um, right, because there's a sample of them in, at the college level that you can watch and observe. Uh, but it's also harder because everybody has access to that tape, uh, and everybody knows who's good, who's good and who's not good. So um, – it's it's difficult because you have to be really competitive and like Oregon won all of their big transfer portal fights. Like or, Oregon literally got every guy they targeted in the transfer portal as a top guy. Um, there was obviously some guys that were interested in Justin Rogers from Kentucky who ended up at Auburn um, is one who's a really, really good player, but it's, he was like, oh, like in terms of guys that were like needs because a nose tackle was not a need. They, they got all their top guys. And I think that says a lot about the staff, their ability to evaluate, um, and then their ability to close. Like you're talking about coffee, like getting Birch and and getting uh, Jacobs and getting uh, uh, Cornelius. I mean, shoot, Cornelius was Tennessee, Ohio State, Nebraska, and us. Like that's a, like those are all good teams. Um, so they, they did a really good job in the portal. And uh... – I don't know if everybody's stressed for time, but there's something I'll, I'll close on that I, I haven't really talked about, but I think it's it's going to be big and will lead us into future conversations is that um, briefly that Phil Knight's involvement this year in recruiting went up tenfold. He was a massive piece in Jordan Birch. He was a massive piece in Oregon getting into the game with Nicholas Harbor. He was a massive piece, you know, for, for Peyton Bowen and David Hicks and if you're getting that, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics or anything, but if you're getting that type of support from a guy who's clearly got a lot of power, I think it's probably should give Oregon fans some some hope and some excitement for what 2024 class could be like. Because I feel as though Phil Knight was a little hesitant at first, you know, maybe mostly through the spring and into the summer, and then in the fall, kind of transition into like, oh yeah, I see what's happening here. You know we're going to either fall behind or 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 keep up with, you know we're going to 
keep up with the rich out there. And, uh, you know, that type of involvement is what Oregon needed. And I think we saw the recruiting class um, as a whole kind of take off uh, with, with that involvement. So should should give you some excitement into the t- 2024 class, kind of knowing that Phil Knight's really, um, you know, taken up a bigger interest in recruiting. All right. And I think that will just about wrap it up for this signing day edition of the QB 11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I'm going to be finishing up my work day and then running over about a thousand yards to the to the signing day event tonight to listen to Dan and, and hopefully get a chance to talk to some of the other coaches and players there as well. But I'll uh, I'll definitely report back anything interesting coming out of there. And uh, QB, you want to send us off? Yeah. Well, first of all, it was fantastic having the both of you guys on at the same time again. Uh, let's try to do this more often. Uh, but thank you everybody for listening. All the support once again. Um, our fantastic patrons over on anchor who are contributing on a monthly basis to the, uh, to the uh, podcast. Make sure you guys all have a wonderful week. Enjoy the day. Enjoy this awesome class that's being brought in. Uh, I know there's a couple signing day dinners tonight um, all over town and uh, have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you guys next week and start breaking down 2024 and this upcoming spring and what the roster is looking like now that we have a more complete picture.